let's uh, let's just pause and pray as we begin, and then we'll we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We look to you, and we know that you are our God. Lord, you uh, saw us, and you bought us when we were dead in sins, when we were stuck in the muck and the mire, and you love us. You didn't save us because you uh, thought, oh, there's a special person, and if I just clean them up just right. No, you saved us just because you love us. Lord, we love you. We pray that your spirit would move this morning. Teach us, Lord. May you be glorified. In your name, amen. All right, uh, so we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for... about a month now. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount uh, for about a month, and this is how it begins. There is, uh, the, the context is this, that Jesus has come, and he begins to do some amazing things. Uh, the blind are receiving their sight. People that have never walked are walking. The people that are demon-possessed are set free. Hungry people are filled. And, you know, can you just imagine living back then, right? Just imagine being there, and, man, I want to be part of that, right? I, I want to be part of this thing. Whatever is going on here, it looks like a good thing, and, and it's better than what I have right now. And, and that's exactly what a lot of people started to do. That Literally, crowds just started to follow Jesus. Big groups. And the crowds got bigger and bigger, and Jesus continued to heal people, to set people free. And he continued to preach a simple message that was this. And this is your first fill-in this morning. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus, he just preaches this kind of simple message of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the crowds continued to grow. More and more people were following Jesus. And then Jesus decides it's time to explain a little bit more, right? A little bit more about what it means to be part of the kingdom of heaven. How do you be part of the kingdom of heaven? Who can be part of the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus, he stops, and he's standing on a hillside or a mountain, and he begins to to teach the people. And he tells them this. He says, right near the beginning of his sermon, he says this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Kind of like a bubble popper, right? The Pharisees, for all intents and purposes, were perfect in what they did. There was no one who did everything right like the Pharisees did. And Jesus says this. He says this to the crowds of hurting people that are following him. He says, you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven? you got to be better than them. Your next felon is this. Those, like who can be part of the kingdom of heaven? Those who are more righteous than the Pharisees. 
we should be a little deflated by that statement. I've tried to be righteous, but more righteous than the Pharisees? I don't think I can do it. And so Jesus goes on to explain, to unpack just a little bit, like some examples about what he means. What, what do you mean, Jesus, by being more righteous than the Pharisees? So last week we looked at uh, the topic of anger. Lewis uh, talked to us about that. And now, this week, we're going to look at what Jesus says about adultery and about lust. So we've already said this, but I'll say it again. Sex is good, right? God created sex, and it's people that tend to go and mess it up. Just to define the two terms before we move in any farther, adultery, right, would be we would probably more likely use the phrase nowadays cheating on someone right uh, sleeping with someone having sex with someone who's not your spouse of course too you can also commit adultery that's not just physical but emotional right uh, where you're confiding in and putting trust in someone above the person who should be closest to you and then lust is very similar Jesus is going to argue and he says that it's adultery, but you just keep it in your heart. He says it's when you look at someone and you desire them, you think sexual thoughts about them, but you just keep it right here. And it's a secret, and no one else has to know. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not okay either. We tend to think of this as a issue for males, for guys, uh, but of course, it can also be an issue for women, and in a relationship, it's going to affect both. My problems tend to be Katie's problems, right? What I do and what I choose to do are going to impact, Katie's my wife for those of you who don't know, are going to impact uh, <laughs> her life as well. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't know if I struggle with these things exactly, and that's okay, we're all different, right? Uh, but I would argue, and this is your next fill-in, that sexual brokenness, sexual brokenness defined as you know something that's going to negatively impact the way you think about sexuality. Something that's gonna hurt your relationship with someone else because of what you're bringing to the table in your mind. So what do we mean by that? Sexual brokenness can come from different areas. One area would be this, uh, choices you make. If you choose to watch movies, right, that have lots of sex in it, it's gonna impact the way you think. If you choose to look at pornography, or to follow, uh, you know, that attractive lady or man on uh, Instagram or Snapchat. Those are things, right? Snapchat, Instagram. Getting a little out of touch. Getting old. Um, that's going to influence the way you're thinking. But sexual brokenness can also come from choices that we didn't make for ourselves. It can come from choices, things that you didn't want, you never wanted to happen. 
Uh, it could be a past uh, experience, sexual abuse as a child. Uh, I never experienced anything that was particularly extreme, but I do remember uh, being a 14-year-old boy. I went to a Christian conference. It was out of town, uh, Buffalo, and uh, they, <laughs> yeah, no offense, but, um, and uh, the church there, they uh, would put people up at uh, houses, like of church members, right? So I would go to this conference, and you know, you get to stay at someone's house. And I'd actually been to these before, and I was familiar with the idea. My parents would host, right, people from out of town at our house. Uh, it wasn't abnormal to me. Uh, so I found myself at one of these conferences, and we were staying at this house. Uh, and I remember being uncomfortable because the, the house we were staying at, this is a Christian home, and then they showed us all the boys. They showed us this movie that felt inappropriate, right? We were kind of like, hmm, that's not okay. Um, I don't think mom would like me to watch this, right? You know, when you're 14, you're still thinking an awful lot about mom in, in those circumstances and what she might say. Uh, and... I didn't know any of the other boys that were there, and most of them were older than me. And so we were going to sleep in the living room, uh, and I remember, you know, you, you lay down, you have your blanket, and as the lights went out, and you're trying to fall asleep in this new place, the guy next to me kept moving closer and closer to me, and it became increasingly more uncomfortable for me, right? Uh, and you, you know the difference between someone that's sleeping and taking up too much space and someone that's still awake. And I became more and more nervous and scared until finally I got up and went and sat you know, on the kitchen floor with my blanket and the two dogs uh, that the, were at the house for the rest of the night. They were big dogs and I figured that was a safe place to be. Um, you know, it's not something that I wanted to have happen, right? And it leaves you asking a lot of questions, like, is this something about me? And the answer to that is no, right? Uh, people choose to do bad things, right? They choose to um, make decisions that are going to hurt other people. Uh, and it can leave you, though, in a way sexually broken. Right, where that impacts the way I think today. Right? And we need to know how to think through that. Uh, we need to recognize that in a relationship, I'm bringing that experience to the table as well. Right? I've mentioned it already briefly, uh, but technology and pornography are huge in contributing to sexual brokenness. 33.5 billion people, this is, uh, so statistics, right? It, it, it keeps track, websites keep track of how many people visit that website, it just counts. And so you can just Google this, and uh, uh, news media, right, uh, published this, BBC News published this, and it, it says this, that a popular pornographic website had 33.5 billion people visit that website 
in one year. That's 4.5 billion more people than are on Earth, right? So what that means is that a lot of people are looking at pornography, and a lot of people are looking at pornography a lot. In a church our size, 50% at least of us are looking at pornography regularly. And it's going to lead to right sexual brokenness. When you bring that to a relationship, it cannot, that's a double negative, I was going to say, it cannot not, right? It will hurt your relationship. If you're married, it will hurt your relationship with your spouse. And if you're unmarried, it's going to hurt your relationship with anyone that's close around you. Came to church today? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. So let's get into what Jesus says here, right? Because let's be honest, I could say a lot of things, uh, but what Jesus says is going to be the most important. So he's explaining, remember? He's explaining what does it mean to be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees? Sounds like a tall order maybe even perfection. And so Jesus says this. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman who lusts for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Then Jesus goes and gets crazy. He says this. He says, If your right eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, okay, man, my right eye is just catching up. Looking at people in the side. Your right eye is causing you to sin. Gouge it out. I don't see many one-eyed people in the room, and it's okay if you are. But I don't see many, many one-eyed people in the room, so apparently no one's following this advice. And then Jesus says, uh, he goes on and he says, and if your right hand is causing you to sin, right, cut it off and cast it from you. I guess you'd have to take the other hand and throw it. Uh, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is better for you to enter into life Maimed, right, in, into like missing part of your body, than to go to hell. So let's just back up for a minute and let's look at an example found in the Bible. King David, right, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, King David, we're familiar with him. He's the, the little guy that goes out there with the sling stone and sling went round and round. familiar with, right, David and Goliath. But David goes on and he becomes king, and one day he decides he's tired of going out and fighting these battles. It was a time when it was, you know, all, everyone else went out to war, but David decided to stay home. And one day, we, we, we don't really know what his motives were here, but he goes up onto the roof, kind of like going out onto your porch, and he happens to see on a, another roof, like another porch nearby, a woman, and she's naked. Her name is Bathsheba, and David finds out who she is, and he has people send for her, bring her to him, and then he sleeps with her, he has sex with her, and she goes home. 
you sent a message to David saying, I'm pregnant. And Uriah has been out fighting at a war, so David sends a message to the commander out there, send Uriah back, and David tries to trick Uriah into going home and sleeping with his wife. You know, like, then, right, then they'll think, even though the baby might not look just like them, you know, hey, genetics are weird, and no one will have to know, right? Uh, but it doesn't work out. And so in frustration, David creates another plan. He has a plan, so he actually takes a letter, writes the plan in it, seals it up, and gives it to Uriah to take back to the front, to give to the commander. Uriah carries it back, gives it to the commander, and this is what the letter says. It says to the commander of the army, it says, go out, and when you fight the enemy, and when the, the war and the battle gets fiercest, make sure Uriah is up at the front, and then retreat and leave him there. And finally, something that David has planned works out, and Uriah is killed in battle. Problem solved. <coughs> David uh, comes back. He takes Bathsheba, the woman he slept with when he got pregnant, and he takes her uh, as his wife. You see, sin will take you further than you ever want to go. It'll begin with something that seems kind of okay. David sees this woman, she's naked, and like I mentioned already, like the prevalence of things like pornography and and just in movies, the messages we receive about sex, right? Uh, it's unavoidable to some extent. You're going to see things, but the choice is for you to decide what you are going to do with what you see, right? You decide that. And David, it seems, you know, harmless enough at first. Like, he sees this woman, but then he decides, you know, I want to sleep with this woman. And so what begins as a glance or two leads to an adulterous affair. And then it leads to lies and deceit. Then it leads to a treacherous plot. Then it leads to murder. And the reality is, is that the story doesn't actually even end there. You see, what you do, especially as a father, is going to set an example for your kids. And David has a son... And his son, uh, we don't actually know whether he directly knows what his father did or whether it's just that his father's moral depravity influences his decisions. But his son's name is Amnon, and Amnon becomes so infatuated with his sister. He becomes so frustrated with it that literally, and this is sad and disgusting, but one day he rapes his sister. You know what? The king, David, does nothing to respond. And then an angry brother, you can imagine if you were the brother of that sister, you'd be 
kills the rapist brother. And that leads to a rebellion in David's house, and David flees for his life and almost loses his own kingdom. The next fill-in is sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. And whoever you are following in life, to that you are a slave. If it is adultery and lust, you will be a slave to it, and it will destroy your life. Jesus goes on to point out the high level of complete perfection that he demands. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman, and you can fill in there, anyone who looks at a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery in their heart. So why not? And that's actually your next villain. Do not commit adultery in your heart. So why not? I mean, what's wrong with this? If the example of David isn't enough to convince you that it can lead to bigger problems, right? Uh, sin will be exposed. Know this, that when we commit adultery in our heart, so when you see a person and you say that person is attractive and you have sexual thoughts about that person, what you are doing to them is you are taking someone who is created in the image of God and for the glory of God and you are using them for your own gain and for your own desire.
specifically about sexual sin. And it says, can a man hold a fire to his chest and not be burned? It will destroy your life. So why should you not commit adultery in your heart? Why should you not have those people on Instagram that you're following, and you know you're only following them because of what they're wearing or what they're not wearing, right? Why? Because people are created in the image of God and for the glory of God. For me, uh, pornography was a bad, bad thing in my life. Some of you, like already, just by saying that, you already know what I mean, because you've experienced the same thing. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's not something that you relate to. The only way I can think to explain it is like this. It has a way of capturing you. It's very similar to a drug or an alcohol addiction, where you know that it's destroying your life, but you can't seem to stop. You know that the end of this is death, but you continue. And you may try to do things, just like a drug addict might throw away their drugs, or an alcoholic might you know, throw away all the liquor. Uh, but when you do that, you just find yourself spending all your time trying to find more. You know you need help, but you're too ashamed and too proud to ask. So what can be done? If you're here this morning, and as I've kind of said, all of us here on some level have a measure of sexual brokenness. Whether it's just from what the media keeps telling us about what uh, the ideal people look like, or something that's greater, whether it's from choices that you've made or from choices that someone else made for you, uh, what steps can be taken? The first is this, don't be distracted by a fight against the symptoms. So down there on your notes, practical steps. Don't be distracted by a fight against the symptoms. I'll talk a little bit more about what that means, but don't think that if you just get rid of a problem in your life, that everything else is then going to be perfect. Know that you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Jesus himself is with you, but if you look around, there are people who have Christ dwelling in them, and you are not alone. There is no temptation. There is no sickness or disease or disgusting thing on this earth, right? that has seized you except what is common to everyone. Tell the truth. You gotta tell the truth. Especially with sexual issues. Being united with someone, right? Being married to them. Uh, we're one. So if I have things in my life about
can't have a relationship with others without giving the truth to them. You've got to tell the truth. And that's a scary thing because you don't know how that person's going to respond. But God is not the God of lies and secrets. He is the God of the truth. And so in order for there to be healing, we'll have to start with the truth. And the last one, and this is probably the most important one, is this. Uh, know, number nine, know that all of, all of the practical steps in the world will not save you. You can read books. You can go to a seven-step program. It's not going to save you. You can do all those things right, and it will not save you. Because, you see, remember, what did Jesus say? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. How can your righteousness exceed that of someone who is doing everything right? And it's because it gets down to this. It's not a matter of what is on the outside, but what is on the inside. And we have a heart problem. We have a heart problem that needs a savior. Only Jesus can change your heart. The Bible tells us that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are dead. Your heart is dead. How can I be saved from that? Remember when it said, and we thought this sounded crazy, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out and cast it from you. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. And you know what? It would be well worth it to do that if it would save you. But the key word there is if. And it wouldn't. It would not save you. What will save you is a new heart. The problem is your heart. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. But the king has come. Jesus the king has come. The king of the kingdom is here. And so what should we do? What should we do? We should repent. Will you do what Jesus asks? And your last felon is repent. And will you trust that the king has the power to save? Jesus has come. He is the king of the kingdom. And there can be only one king. And to be part of his kingdom means this, that you are laying down your life, your desires, and what you want, and you are putting that king first. And Jesus says if you do that, right, you will have a new life. You will be raised to new life. This morning, I believe. I believe in a Savior who loves me and gave himself for me. I believe in Jesus who took all of my sin on the cross, all of it. And he nailed it to the cross. And he died and he rose again. And because of him, I can have life. I believe in Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning. We say, you, Lord, only you are worthy of all the praise, of all the glory. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have done what no one else can do. You have taken my place, and you have saved me. Lord, we love you so much. We praise you, and we glorify you this morning. In your name.